Greetings, everyone. I am excited for the come and see weekends. You know, God brings people our way for a purpose. And we have the opportunity to build relationships with them, pray for them, and then invite them to church and trust that they will hear a, a relevant message that will help them to encounter Jesus. Now, we are believing that the Lord will do great things through this new initiative. And we ask you to pray for us and link arms with us as we together advance God's kingdom. I want to welcome all of us today at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those uh, joining us from our campus in Bearspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome those who are uh, joining us online. Uh, we are studying the book of Revelation this year, and I'm personally excited for what the Lord wants to speak to us through this incredible book of the Bible. Now, let me restate what you have heard from Pastor Henry in the last two weeks. The book of Revelation is about the future, but it's also about the present. It offers a future hope, but it also speaks to our present circumstances. And no matter what period of history it may be, the book of Revelation has great relevance. So we will keep this approach in mind throughout this series. Not only are we dealing with the future, but we are drawing application for today. Pastor Daryl Johnson raises a fascinating question. He writes, if it ever became illegal in my part of the world, as it actually is in other places at this very moment, to own a complete copy of the Bible, and if authorities, as an act of mercy, allowed me to possess just one book of the Bible for personal use, I would, without hesitation, keep the last. I would keep the book of Revelation. Huh? What about you? If you could keep only one book of the Bible for your personal use, which one will you keep? Daryl Johnson gives his reasons why he would go with Revelation. He says, no other book of the Bible presents the gospel as powerfully as the last one does in the face of all that threatens to undo us. Daryl Johnson also says, in no other book of the Bible we see Jesus as clearly and compellingly as we do in the last book. And I agree with both points. Nowhere else do we see the triumph of the gospel and the kingdom of God against the forces of evil like we do in Revelation. And no other book offers us a Christology and understanding and insight into the person of Christ, who Jesus is, like the book of Revelation. Now this book is not just a revelation of mysteries to do with the future, but this is first and foremost a revelation of Jesus Christ. An unveiling of Jesus. So we see Jesus in all of his splendor and glory. The first part of the book of Revelation contains letters. These are words spoken by Jesus to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Although these letters are written to specific congregations in the first century, the message here is for churches from all 
time period in history. Why seven churches? Why not six or ten or a hundred? You will see a series of sevens in the book of Revelation. A seven typically stands for fullness and completion. So this is another way of saying the message is for all the churches until Jesus returns. And in these letters, Jesus offers words of affirmation as well as warning to these seven churches. And they are for us to learn from. Now we need to ask ourselves, what aspects of these affirmation applies to us? And what warnings that we need to pay attention to as Senestry Church? Last weekend, Pastor Henry shared with us Jesus' message to the church in Ephesus, a church that had left its first love. And today, we will focus on Jesus' message to the church in Smyrna. A text is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And if you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, now, this time, I want to remind you, the word angel there is translated messenger in the original language. So it's actually not referring to an angelic being, but it's referring to the pastor of the church who provided spiritual leadership to the congregation. So that's who, who this is addressed to. So to the angel or messenger of the church in Smyrna, right? Let's carry on. These are the words of him who's the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. I do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has years, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. You pray with me. Lord, would you give us ears that hear, eyes that see, and a heart that comprehends who you are. That we will be open to what you have to say to us. Pray that you will take these inspired words and help us to apply them to our lives, what it means to us here at Center Street Church. That you will personalize this message and speak to each one of us. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If any of us think persecution of Christians and martyrdom is something to do with the past, something that happened centuries ago, then you're totally mistaken. 
Christianity Today had an article this year titled, The 50 Countries Where It Is Most Dangerous to Follow Jesus in 2023. And this article states, more than 5,600 Christians were killed for their faith last year. More than 2,100 churches were attacked or closed. More than 124,000 Christians were forcibly displaced from their homes because of their faith, and almost 15,000 became refugees. Listen to this. Every day, every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Three in four Christian martyrs are from Nigeria. And this is largely due to the Islamic extremism in the northern part of the country. And North Korea is back at number one, the most dangerous place to be a Christian according to Open Doors, an organization that works with the persecuted church. 360 million Christians live in nations with high levels of persecution or discrimination. That's one in seven Christians worldwide, including one in five believers in Africa, two in five believers in Asia, and one in 15 in Latin America. These are sobering statistics. So Jesus' message to the persecuted church in Smyrna is as relevant today as it was in the first century. That is why here at Central Campus of our church, we will see in the atrium the various flags. And these flags represent the countries where we have partner churches. And there's a flag that we have designated for the persevering church. And we have connections with these churches through our global ministry, churches where people are still being intensely persecuted. Now, I want to remind us today what the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, persecution is not something reserved for some time period in history in the past or for people who live in some special geographical context. All Christians who live a godly life will be persecuted. Now look at what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, the first part of verse 9. Jesus says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. That word there, affliction, can be translated tribulation. The word literally means pressure, to push against something. It's talking about crushing pressure. The imagery will be a huge boulder on top of your chest. You're under its weight and you feel the pressure as you're being crushed slowly under its load. Do you see the intensity behind that word? I watched true videos of church services happening while there's a, a mob waiting outside wanting to attack the Christian believers and ransack the place. 
But can you imagine for a moment if you are inside a church building, worshiping, knowing that there's a mob out there waiting for you? What would you do? What would that worship service look like? How would that influence their prayers and their preaching? Talk about pressure. For you have your family, your kids, and people you love, and their lives are under danger because you are meeting together as followers of Jesus Christ to worship. When I hear Christians in North America say, we prefer online worship services because it is more convenient A part of me wants to take some of these people to places where believers are risking in order to get together for worship. The extent of sacrifice that's involved, the distance that they need to travel in order to come together for corporate worship like this. See, if you're a Christian, don't make decisions based on your convenience. For we are called to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. That is the Christian life. The persecution, which is pressure, is a result of two kingdoms clashing. When the kingdom of light clashes against the kingdom of darkness. There's a clash between two value systems. Now, one value system is defined by the truth of God and his word. And the other value system symbolizes what the world believes in. That's what the church in Smyrna experienced in the first century. The Christian believers had committed their lives to the lordship of Christ. They were sold out, all in, devoted to the kingdom of Jesus. But they lived under the Roman Empire. So there was a clash of values that resulted in pressure. Smyrna, along with Ephesus and Pergamum, was an important city in Asia Minor. The city of Smyrna still exists today. It has a different name. It's called Izmir, which is the third largest city in Turkey today. In the first century, when Jesus was speaking to the church, the church in the city of Smyrna had a a sizable Jewish population. And in the cities that were under the Roman Empire, emperor worship was normal. Under the Roman Emperor Domitian, emperor worship was required for all Roman citizens. And those who refused received the death penalty. So they performed a kind of ritual of burning incense once a year to Caesar, a title used by the Roman emperor. And the ritual involved confessing with your mouth, Caesar is Lord. And then you'll get a a certificate that you have performed your civil duty. The only people who are given exemption from this ritual were the Jews. The Romans knew that the Jews were a monotheistic faith. They worshipped one God. They wanted to be in good terms with them. 
So they gave the Jews the exemption that they didn't have to perform this ritual and call Caesar as Lord. But look at our text here in Revelation chapter 2, verse, the second part of verse 9. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. It appears that the Christians in the city of Smyrna were slandered by the Jews. And what happened? See, in the initial few years, Christianity was seen as an offshoot of Judaism, a sect within the Jewish faith. Therefore, the Christians also enjoyed for a short time the same privileges as the Jews. So they didn't have to worship Caesar. But it appears that the, the Jews in Smyrna were upset with the Christians. And they said, these folks are teaching things that has nothing to do with our faith. So they wanted the Christians to be expelled from the Jewish umbrella. So the Jews in Smyrna reported the Christians to the Roman authorities. They slandered them. And in doing so, they joined hands with Satan. Which meant persecution broke loose. When the Christians refused to bow their knee to Caesar, they were defying Rome. They were committing treason. They earned the wrath of the Roman officials. And that's why the text here says the Christians in Smyrna were poor. Poverty came as a result of the strict sanctions that were placed against Christians. There was financial repercussions. Many of them lost their jobs, their businesses collapsed. They were not able to make both ends meet simply because of their refusal to bow down to Caesar. The pressure the Christians were in was because they had a value system that they adhered to that contradicted the value system of the world they lived in. And remember this. If the Christians had caved in, there will be no persecution. Life will be good. The pressure will be lifted. But that also meant they would be compromising on their Christian convictions. But because they refused to compromise, the persecution started to increase. Now picture the church in Smyrna meeting in a house, for they were all house churches at the time. They knew the pressure that they were in. Some of the church members have been put to death or they've been imprisoned. That they were feeling discouraged would be an understatement. This little church was on the verge of being snuffed out, overcome by the political powers who were far stronger than they were. And there was anxiety over their future. What's going to happen to us? Can we even survive? And that day in the church service, the pastor of the church reads a letter. And this letter is not from a fellow Christian or another human being, but these are the words of Jesus. Jesus speaking directly to the church members in Smyrna. 
And they hear these words from Jesus himself. And Jesus says to them, I know your pressure, your tribulation, your affliction. Can you imagine what that would have meant for the suffering believers in Smyrna? To the Lord that they've been serving. The Lord they've been standing up for. The one on whose behalf they were suffering knew exactly what they were going through. And Jesus is saying to the church in Smyrna, I know the pressure that you're in. I know the cost of your discipleship. I know exactly what you're going through. Jesus is not just talking about a mere intellectual knowledge of the situation, but he is expressing deep empathy. He is identifying himself deeply with their predicament. You see the number of contrasts in the text. The one who is first and the last who was dead and is alive is speaking to a church that's poor but rich. That like Jesus, the church will also go through death in order to find life. Let me show you what Jesus says here, how he introduces himself to the church in Smyrna. Revelation 2 verse 8 the angel or messenger of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who's the first and the last who died and came to life again. I tell you, that is an incredible claim to make. I am the first and the last. Do you know who else makes that claim? God makes the claim in several places in the Old Testament. Here's an example. Isaiah 44, verse 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Can it get any clearer than this? That Jesus is saying, I am the first and I am the last. He is equating himself with God. This is as plain as it can get. Jesus is God. No debates around that. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the first and I am the last. Which means he has the first say and he will have the final say. Everything that happens in our life is bracketed. Not by what Rome or Ottawa or Washington DC decides. What Caesar or Putin says. We are not defined by the course of any major events in history. No, our lives come under the boundaries that are set by Jesus Christ. Jesus determines everything and nothing can thwart his purposes. So what that means is, we have nothing to fear. Faith in who Jesus is conquers all of our fears. Now Smyrna and another suffering church in Philadelphia 
are the two out of the seven churches that did not receive any rebuke from Jesus. Jesus didn't have anything negative to say about this church. But this is what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna. Verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. You wish Jesus would have said to the church in Smyrna, you're being unjustly persecuted. I know what's going on. I see everything. So I'm going to deliver you from it. I'm going to free you. I'm going to protect you supernaturally. I'm going to ease this pressure for you. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you're going to be tested. You're going to be persecuted for 10 days, which could be a literal 10 days or figuratively speaking of a short period of time. Jesus says some of you will even die as a result of this. But remain faithful even to the point of death. The application was straightforward to the church at Smyrna. God is going to allow the persecution to go on. But the ones who remain faithful will receive the victor's crown. So be faithful. Hold on. Till the very end, don't ease your grip. Stay strong for your reward is coming. I told you earlier, all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, We may not suffer extreme physical persecution here in Canada, at least not yet. But our persecution looks different. If you don't have any oppositions in your life because of your Christian convictions, then chances are you're living a life of compromise. Remember, when two value systems collide, there's pressure. And we have a a value system as Christian believers that is so different from the rest of the world. And when we hold on uncompromisingly to our Christian convictions, there will inevitably be oppositions. Pushback, pressure, turmoil. There's no way to escape this. Let me give you some examples. As Christians, we see our money as stewardship. That all we have belongs to God. And we are called to steward our resources. And it goes against what our world believes in. It's my money. I can do whatever I want with it. So I will indulge in a self-centered, selfish life that will just benefit me and my family. That's the philosophy of the world. So talk about a clash of values. 
And what happens when we live as God's people, how tough this can get. If you're single and you're committed to a life of purity, that you want to honor God in your relationships, and I can tell you right now, you're going to be under extreme pressure. Pressure to compromise because your convictions are so different from what the world holds. A world that sees sex before marriage is no big deal. I talk about how you use your time. As Christians, once again, we want to steward our time and make room in our schedule and create priority for meeting together as other believers and creating time in our schedule where we can serve actively in the various ministry areas of our church and engage in God's mission. That's what we've been called to as Christians. But our world out there thinks we can do whatever we want with our free time. It's our time. So when you live counterculturally, you start feeling the pressure. And I'll tell you, the world will do everything in its power to attempt to squeeze you into their mold. And when you resist, there will be oppositions. That pressure will always be there. No matter how many years you've been following Jesus, that pressure is not going to ease. It's a constant battle. But we are called to be faithful in the midst of the pressure. And when we do that, Jesus promises us a reward. The church in Smyrna would have known what the victor's crown is. Smyrna was well known for its athletic games. The champion in this sporting event would receive a victory wreath, a sought-after prize. The winner would be seen as heroic in Rome, like a patron of the empire because of their great accomplishment and the sacrifices that they have endured in order to win that crown. A parallel for us would be like being knighted in England. It's a proud moment. You're being recognized by those around you. In the same way, the ones who live their lives faithfully for God in the midst of the opposition will eventually be rewarded. Not in this life, but in the life to come. If you're a Christian, your greatest reward is not now. No, we look forward to that moment. That eye has not seen, ear has not heard, or the human mind even conceived of. When we will stand in the very presence of Jesus, and he will say to you, Well done, my good and faithful servant, and he will give you your victor's crown. That's a moment worth looking forward to. And that is the vision that has sustained the persecuted church all through history. There are no rewards in this life, but they fix their eyes on what is to come, a different reality that will unfold one day. The promise of eternal rewards, not the 
temporary trinkets of this world. That's what's supposed to motivate us today. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation. Polycarp went on to become the bishop of Smyrna. As an old man, he was well-respected in the church and as a spiritual leader in the community. The Roman persecution intensified. And one day, Polycarp was arrested and brought to a stadium with crowds watching. The Roman governor stated firmly to Polycarp, swear and I will let you go. Reproach Christ. Polycarp turned to the governor and boldly declared, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The governor threatened, I have wild beasts, I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp replied, call them, for we cannot repent from what is better to what is worse. But it is noble to turn from what is evil to what is righteous. And the governor threatened Polycarp with fire. But he responded, You threaten me with a fire that burns an hour and is soon quenched? For you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment stored up for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Do what you want. This is one of the most reliable accounts of early martyrdom outside of the Bible. The crowd wanted Polycarp to be burned to death and so they did and Polycar was faithful even to the point of death why would somebody do that why would someone lay down their life one thing Polycarp knew it was worth it it was worth giving up his life for Jesus than turning his back on him but secondly Polycarp knew the truth that is stated in our text. For he must have been there when this letter to the church in Smyrna was read that Sunday morning. He was one of them sitting in the congregation listening to these words from Jesus. Revelation 2 verse 11. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So speaking of those who stand strong in their faith in spite of the oppositions and the persecution, they will not be harmed by the second death. See, there are two kinds of death. The first death is for all people, believers and non-believers alike. We will all experience physical death. In the case of the church in Smyrna, the physical death will be in the form of martyrdom. But Christian believers who hold on to their faith in Jesus will not face the second death. The Greek construction of the sentence is emphatic. 
You will not be hurt in any way at all by the second death. The second death is speaking of separation from God. In fact, Revelation 21 verse 8 tells us what the second death is. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. All people will be resurrected. But the resurrected Christian believers will be in the presence of Jesus. And the resurrected non-believers will be banished from his presence for all eternity. And the motivation to endure is the rewards that await us when we see Jesus face to face. I'm going to turn our attention now to celebrating the Lord's Supper. Because there's a great tie-in here. Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, it declares, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This passage will help us to transition our thoughts towards celebrating the Lord's Supper. See, the model for us in running the Christian race is Jesus himself. For Jesus did not refrain from suffering. He embraced the cross. He suffered and he died. He counted the cost to be insignificant. Keep in mind, the cross was the lowest form of capital punishment in the entire Roman Empire. Jesus did not shy away from it. He faced ridicule, shame, and the physical agony of the cross. But that pain was insignificant. It paled in comparison to the joy that was set before Jesus. Jesus suffered knowing that his suffering was temporary, but it will result in future rewards. So in the same way, we follow the footsteps of Jesus. Christians also embrace the trials of life. And we hold on to our convictions and not deviate from our confession of faith. Just like the joy that was set before Jesus kept him going. The joy of future eternal rewards keeps us going. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are preaching the gospel to ourselves. It's a reminder of Jesus' death. Resurrection and his glorious second coming. So when we partake of the bread and the cup, which are symbols, we are visually enacting the gospel. We are ingesting it so it affects the very core of our being. So the Lord's Supper is a meal for those who are 
followers of Jesus Christ who love Jesus and are living for Jesus. So when we partake of the elements, the bread and the juice, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We keep in the forefront of our minds his perseverance. And we remind ourselves, just like death did not have the final say in the life of Jesus, so it is with us as Christian believers. Death will not have the final say. We will not be harmed, but all who trust in Jesus will rise to everlasting life. That is the hope of the gospel. So would you now close your eyes for a moment and reflect on that hope? Because when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we don't engage in this flippantly. This is an act of worship. This is an opportunity to encounter Jesus and his love afresh. So we examine our hearts and we ask God to remove anything that could be a hindrance. And with a clear conscience, we come before the throne of grace to encounter Jesus through the partaking of the elements. So let's maintain a moment of silence and and reflect on what we have heard. Lord, in the silence of this moment, we remind ourselves of Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus, you are our role model. We follow in your footsteps. Would you give us the courage in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the opposition, to be unwavering in our commitment to you, That we will press on till the very end, knowing that we have eternal rewards. The joy that is ahead of us will give us the motivation that we need to live our lives all out for you, counterculturally, boldly, following you all the way, even to the point of death. So even now, Lord, as we partake of these elements, would you minister your strength to us? That if any of us feel weary in this journey, we will receive the encouragement and the nourishment that we need to press on in this race. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask all of us to stand right now. And as you're standing, you can have your elements ready. All you need to do is open the the wrapper on the top and you'll be able to get hold of the wafer and then there is a a second layer that you need to peel to be able to drink from the cup.
what we are holding in our hands are visual reminders. A visual reminder of what Jesus has done for us and his model of perseverance. The body of Jesus was given for us for he loves us so much. And Jesus deserves all of our devotion. Let's partake of this bread with gratitude. The blood of Jesus was shed for us. And because of what Jesus has done, we know we are accepted in the sight of God. And with his strength, we will run the race with perseverance. Let's partake of this with gratitude.